All right, so we've been going through uh, apostolic prayers that Paul has a lot of. Uh, some of the other apostles have a, have a few as well. And this is the fifth one. This is a, out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 through 12. So if you want to turn there, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is a shorter one. And the context of this prayer is also important to, to understand it. And the reason we're going through the apostolic prayers is because in the season, uh, we just believe God's wanting to equip us in prayer. Obviously, things are going on in the city like Ahab, but just a lot of other things are happening prayer-wise in the, in the area. I know a lot of churches... Um, whether or not they're a part of AHOP or not, they have a lot more prayer meetings, you know, and and so God is raising it up. It, it, it doesn't even necessarily have to look like a a twenty four hour um, house of prayer is in one place, but it can, God can be raising it up through the city, um, as a, around the clock. And the Tabernacle of David was that it was twenty four hours, seven days a week. Uh, of worship and prayer that was resourced by King David. And so God is looking for that where night and day prayer is going to be raised up and people watching on the, on the watchman's wall, bringing before the Lord, not giving him any rest, so to speak. And uh, so God's doing that. He's equipping us. And, and part of the beautiful things about these, ap these apostolic prayers is that there's always a yes on these prayers. You're praying the word of God. And if you're like me, and sometimes you get, you're like, I don't know what to pray. You know, even for my kids sometimes, you know, you have these apostolic prayers that fall back on. And uh, years ago, um, I just, I memorized about five or six of them because I'm always, I've always asked God, like, help me to pray because I'm so, I remember I used to paint houses. And I would, I'm so one-track minded that I would just be focused on cutting a line or doing whatever. And then I would feel like I haven't talked to the Lord all day. I was like, God, I want to be able to like talk to you and like work. You know, I want to be able to talk to you and like be doing other things and not have to be isolated. And, you know, I want to carry on any conversation I have with you in my devotional time into the, into my life, the rest of my life. And Apostolic prayers, you know, you're not reading a book back to God. The, the Lord's Prayer, you're not reading a book back to God. It's, it's a few sentences. All these prayers are just a few sentences. And, and I really believe a lot of our conversation with God, um, God wants to debunk this idea of just, of intercession and prayer and communion with Him looking like, only like getting away and being isolated and, and talking to him, which is good. We need that. But also just to continue it in these like, in like flash prayers and conversation with God. You know, you, it's, uh, you know, like with my kids, if I think about them during the day while I'm working, I'll just, I won't even say a whole apostolic prayer because I might be training somebody, but I might think, 
Lord, give my kids a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And then I'm like, you know, talking to my client or whatever. And so you don't even, it's just even phrases that you can speak back to God in conversation with him. And then uh, one thing that's also been helpful for us in, in any situation, but especially with our kids, is just asking God, what are you praying for my kids in this season? And then, uh, you know, every now and then checking in with the Lord to see if that needs to change, if he's praying something different other than what he told us to pray already. But these apostolic prayers are good. And uh, by the way, I want to wish all the fathers a happy Father's Day. And uh, it's it's a blessing, privilege to be a father. My kids are actually with their granddad at Pigeon Forge. I guess eating some pancakes, riding go-karts and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> all right, so let's read Second Thessalonians 11 through 12. To this end also, we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill all your good pleasure for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so short little prayer there. So we want to know what is the context of this prayer of verses 11 through 12? Well, the church in Thessalonica was being persecuted much like the rest of the early church. Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, uh, Romans, most of the church was undergoing persecution and they were no different. And so verses three through four verses three through four in second Thessalonians kind of set up the prayer. It says, we are all to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is only fitting, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of each one of you toward one another increases all the more. So that we ourselves boast about you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. And so Paul's calling out Three different things that the church in Thessalonica is, is an example of. And, and that actually the persecutions and the afflictions are what those things, how God is using those things to actually grow them. And so one of the, one of the things, statements I want to make is that persecution is, can be two things. It can be it is a de- demonic attack, and it can also be the will of God. All right. Now, what I mean by that, the w- it being the will of God, is that God has sent people into places in the Bible and throughout history where they're going to be jailed, even martyred. I mean, He told people that, right? He, he told Paul, "Was like, hey, you're going to Rome. They're going to they're going to kill you." And and so. Jesus warned Peter of the kind of, he told Peter the kind of death that he was going to have. So this is 
the thing is, God just doesn't see death the same way we do. He doesn't look at it as like final. He looks at it as reward time for those who are in Jesus. And so persecution is demonically driven, but it's also allowed by God. And, and that's how it's in the will of God. So three things that the, uh, that was happening in this environment for the church at Thessalonica was that their number one, their faith was growing abundantly. Secondly, their love toward one another was increasing. Now this is in the, in the environment of persecution. Their faith is growing. Their love toward one another is increasing. And they're an example of perseverance and faith to the other churches. So that's what verses three through four tell us about what persecution is doing for the Thessalonian church. And so one of my goals is for us to see persecution in a different light. And, um, you know, the scriptures say all those who wish to live a godly life will endure persecution. persecution. And when you're, because I mean, it makes sense because when you're an alien in a, in a strange land and you live by a different set of values and you live by a different kingdom, kingdoms clash, right? You don't, and, and, you, and your kingdom doesn't look like this kingdom. We have an upside down kingdom that doesn't operate like the world does. And so there's going to be times where we, where we stand out we stand up and, we, and it's just like, no, there's, that's not how I live. I live by a different set of values and it's going to clash with the world. So then you have uh, verses five through 10. It says, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you'll be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. Since, since it is right for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give rest to you who are afflicted and to us as well at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, executing vengeance on those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day. And to, me, and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our witness to you was believed. And so, whenever the, uh, the scriptures talk about affliction, it's not talking about necessarily uh, like physical affliction, like sickness or tragedy or anything like that. Even though God can use those to grow us. When it talks about affliction, it's, it's, in the con it's almost always in the context of persecution. These afflictions, these persecutions, these sufferings, it's, it's in the context of being persecuted for your faith. And so this phrase right here, out of verse, uh, verses five through 10, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment. So that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. So, what does it mean to walk worthy of the Lord? 
That's one of, you know, we, that's part of why we go through these prayers is because some of these phrases are kind of like ambiguous. Like, like last week, we're looking at, um, you know, uh, Philippians 1 or, or the week before, and it said, I pray that your love would abound more and more in real knowledge and discernment. What is, like, what is real knowledge and discernment mean? So we broke that down. And this is the same type of thing. To walk worthy of the Lord. What does that mean? It, it, to walk worthy of the Lord is to walk in agreement with his heart and his ways. To walk worthy of the Lord is to walk in agreement with his heart and his ways. And so we give a worthy response to God by resisting compromise and embracing his ways. So you, it's not necessarily this idea of like trying to be perfect. It's in the, it's in the I think about it as it being more simple than that and and how we sometimes make it to be. It's really just abiding in the Lord, abiding in ways, obeying just the little still small voice. And so like there is a, uh, this past week, the Lord told me to text an administrator at the Kearney County school system and like give him a prophetic, prophetic word. And, and so I did, and it took, you know, the first day I got it, I was kind of like, huh, Lord, is that, you know, is that you? Tell me if that's you. And, uh, and then I just kept thinking about him for the next two days. So like on the third day, I sent the text to him. And in a nutshell, he basically said, uh, you know, you have no idea how I needed to hear that today. And it was, and it's not a guy that I know very well. And it's, it's just those like little things that, all right, God, you know, I'm going to, this guy knows I'm a parent. He knows that, you know, I'm involved in the community and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going to give him a word. You know, you just, you're, you're putting yourself out there a little bit. Even that's not a huge risk, but it is a risk to a degree. And um, so obeying the Lord, not really understanding why you're doing that. I have no idea what's going on in that guy's life. All right. But that's how we we live in a way worthy of him. You're like, Lord, you're worthy for me to get a little bit uncomfortable and do this thing that you're asking me. That's how that's how we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Right. And so. Paul was going to the cities to strengthen the believers to, to remind them that they would be persecuted. So in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, this is what I'm talking about, that God tells us that we will be persecuted. Verse 22, he went about strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Because anything that's really, what makes things valuable, right? Rarity, sacrifice, those are, that's what makes things valuable. How much, if God like, snapped his fingers and wiped away our sins, there would be less value in our salvation. <laughs> But instead, he died, suffered, took our place. And so it places, it increases the value of what Jesus did for us.
So verses 6 through 10, we're just going to highlight. Um, we did, in that previous slide, we had just read like five, uh, what was it? Five through 10. So this is, I got to find the reference. We're getting lost here. So verse six right here. Since it's right for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, number one, to give you rest, to give rest to you who are afflicted. And then the other highlighted part, executing vengeance on those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So three ways God uses persecution as part of his leadership. Three ways God uses persecution as part of his leadership. Now, when I, right when I'd given my life to Jesus, I met Jessica shortly thereafter because one of my prayers also was, I said, I have zero Christian friends. God, I need Christian friends. <laughs> and Jessica was actually perhaps the first Christian friend I met. And then we started dating. And, and so uh, I was reading through Matthew chapter 5. And it's going through the Beatitudes and the blessings. And I said, blessed are those who, blessed are you who are persecuted for you're, you know, you're, you're worthy of the kingdom of God. And, and I was like, well, I want to be blessed. So God, I, I pray for persecution. <laughs> yeah. Well, not soon. And this is very, this is, I wouldn't even qualify this as persecution. In my eyes, it was a little bit, it was a little teeny tiny taste of accusation and misunderstanding. But there were people at the church that we were going to at the time who were like, just kind of maybe spreading rumors about our, our Jessica and I's relationship and kind of slandering it and coming against it. And that was, and that was it. It, it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't a big, huge deal. But I immediately got a little taste of, I think the Lord is just like, all right, okay, son, here you go. You know, there's a little teeny tiny taste. And, uh, but, we don't have to. We don't have to pray for it. As long if, if we're standing and we're obeying the Lord, if it comes, it comes. You know. And part of the reason I teach on this is because I don't. I don't. Uh, I, I would not be surprised at all if all of us are going to have to take a stand for our faith at some point, publicly, in some way or fashion. And so part of my heart is we need to be prepared. We don't need, it doesn't need to catch us by surprise. We need to be ready. And, and so just to, and to know that it's not like good things can come out of this. Y'all remember when we did the Knowing Rediscovered series, Jamie and Donna Winship, the Lord told them to go to this country and they, and they knew that they would be put in jail if they went to this country. And so they prayed about it. And they're like, God, what do you think about this? And, you know, God told them to go. And they did get thrown in jail. And then Donna said it was the sweetest season with Jesus she ever had in her life. You talk to... Uh, there was a woman, an Iranian woman who was in prison and 
Robbie Dawkins, who's a guy that goes to the Middle East, he was interviewing her. And, uh, you know, she was getting beat a little bit as well in prison. And, um, but she was sharing the gospel. She was leading prisoners to the Lord. And they released her eventually out of the prison. And she told Robbie that basically the same thing. She said, I, I wish I could go back to prison because it was like Jesus was just right next to me all the time. She's like, it was hard, but it was like the sweetest time as well. And, and so God is faithful to give us like what we need, right? He's, he's going to, I, you know, you heard people say, God won't give you more than you can handle. I'm just like, I don't think that's true. I think God gives you more than you can handle. So you fall on your face at his feet and be like, God, help me. And then he can like come and pick you up. You know, Song of Songs where chapter eight says, who is this coming up out of the desert leaning on her beloved? And so that's the relationship God has here where you're just, you're not, you can barely walk, but you're leaning upon Jesus. You celebrate your weakness because Jesus is strong in you, right? So these three ways that God uses persecution as part of his leadership. Number one, God weans worldliness from us to make us worthy of his kingdom. So persecution strips away vain things that are temporary. Vanity, when you read it like in Proverbs and in the Old Testament, it's the same word for idol. Or it can be. It's, it's another word for idol. There's multiple words for idol. But vanity means idols. And so temporary vain things are really idols, right? Because idols can be destroyed. Idols in the Old Testament, the way they got rid of idols is they burned them with fire. But what does Jesus say is coming to the earth? He says, I came to baptize with fire. He says, I have a baptism to undergo. And so it's, he, so things are going to be refined. Anything that's of man, that's hay, wood, and stubble is going to be burned up. It's temporary. It's vain. And so he, he strips away the vain, temporary things in our life. And then persecution aligns us a lot more with Jesus' leadership. It aligns, we, we, there's only one safe haven when persecution is around. But there's no comforts, right, to like hide in. There's only one strong tower. And then persecution or pressure changes the conversations we have with God. So instead of, I'm kind of exaggerating, you know, but instead of like praying for uh, our kids' ball, our kids to win their ball game, you know, I'm, you know, or whatever, it's like Jesus strengthen me in my inner man. Let me let, let your love flow through me. Let us strengthen us so we can uh, share the gospel, open up the door for the, you know, all these things, the things that really matter is what comes into our conversation. And I, and I don't say that to mean that God doesn't care about the thing, these little, the, the small things that we tell him. We, we had a girl years ago in our church um, who loved lollipops. She loved lollipops. And she, she was going through, she was really discovering that God was her father. 
and that he loved her as, as a father. And, um, you know, she just said, God, will you just give me a sign that, um, that I'm your favorite? And she, she had like five people in one day. He's like, hey, you want a lollipop? You want, hey, you want, I mean, how many of y'all have had somebody offer you a lollipop lately? So it's, you know, so she was, God cares about those things, right? And so um, he doesn't dismiss the small things. If it, if it matters to you, it doesn't matter to God. But what the persecution brings is it just what matters to us shrinks into the eternal things. So number one, God wanes worldliness from us through persecution. Secondly, God will eventually repay or punish those who persecute his people. And this is actually a comforting thing because to me, because all of us, there's a cry for justice in the world when we see injustice. And, you know, we read things that Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Somebody takes your cloak, give them your tunic as well. They want to walk a mile, you walk two miles with them. Given, you know, you, all of these things that are just are putting you in a place of uh, vulnerability and weakness, right? And so sometimes we think, if I turn the other cheek, does God care about like, what's justice? You know, like, you know, my first instinct is to be like to fight if somebody slapped me, you know? And I think a lot of people are probably that way. But what Jesus, he's not saying, I'm forgetting about justice. He's saying, let me bring the justice, not you. Justice is not your job, but I'm going to bring it. And it's very, very clear in the scriptures, God's going to bring justice. He's going to make every wrong thing right, and he will repay. He will repay evil. And it's frightening really, when you read the scriptures on how he's going to repay. And so Romans chapter 12, this is kind of our stance, our posture in the midst of evil and injustice. Verse 17, Romans 12, we never pay back evil for evil to anyone, respecting what is good in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you being at peace with all men, Never take your own revenge, but instead leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. And for in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That burning coals imagery is, uh, it's actually back in Jesus's day, there was a guy who was appointed the job of starting a fire early in the morning for the village. And so he would start this fire, he'd get up way before everybody else, and then he would get hot coals and he had some kind of canister that he would put the hot coals in 
And he would carry it on his head and he'd go, as people are waking up, he's going door to door and he's handing hot coals to people for them to start their fires. And so this guy was seen, he was seen as a blessing. This guy was like, he was an important guy in the village. And so it says when you, if your enemy's hungry, you feed him. If he's thirsty, you give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on him. said, you're heaping blessings on him in order that he might return to God, right? And so it's not this thing of it somehow punishes them. It's like you're praying, you're heaping blessings on them. The third thing is God gives his persecuted people rest. We're going to receive a hundred times over all that we lost in being persecuted. So this, this hope purifies, it prepares us, it makes us suited to meet Jesus. So this increases as more as persecution causes us to look at our glorious eternal future. So verses five through seven, that we have manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God to give you who are troubled rest. And then Matthew 5, 11 through 12, blessed are you when they revile or persecute you. This is what I was quoting earlier, not as accurately as this, but blessed are they when, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. Now that's, how many of y'all have uh, rejoiced when you've been misunderstood? Wait. Now, it's, that's one of the hardest things is to be misunderstood. And here's, he says, when they falsely come, they say all kinds of evil against you falsely. Now, maybe they don't misunderstand you. Maybe they're person doing it on purpose. But the thing is, we're, that's when you know you're living from another place. You're living from another kingdom. When you're rejoicing and worshiping in prison, when people misunderstand you and slander you and you just, you do a, a jig in the driveway. Because you're like, I just got some major rewards in heaven. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. God just doesn't, we have this, this brief little piece of time here on earth and God's looking at the whole span of eternity and he's like I want to set you up for eternity <laughs> so and that's how the apostles saw the apostles saw is that when they're, they're like this is what's happening to me right now is like maybe going to last a few years at the most but I've got the, all of eternity God's setting me up with blessing and reward So there's four benefits and results of walking worthy of the Lord. So it says here that fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness, the work of faith with power that would be glorified in us and us in him. So first one is to fulfill all good pleasure. So our vision to walk in the fullness of all that God has ordained. It's God's pleasure to use his people as vessels to release his kingdom power. God's not reluctant. So we contend with confidence for the fullness of his purposes. So we go, we continue to contend, we continue to 
uh, to go forth in confidence for the full release of his purposes and his, and his will, both as individuals and corporately. Even after David stumbled, he rose and I said he fulfilled all of God's will for his life. I think that's amazing. After he murdered, after he committed adultery, after he took the census, after he, sounds like maybe he neglected some of his sons because they rebelled. I mean, who, I mean, who knows? I'm not putting that on David, but he had some sons that didn't like him, right? And all that it said that David fulfilled all of God's will for his life. That's good news. God's just too big for us to blow it as long as we are turning back to him. Luke 12, verse 32 says, Do not fear, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The second thing is the work of faith with power. So God releases his power in response to our partnership of faith and connecting with his heart and contending for the fullness of his purposes. If we want to uh, increase in faith, I think we just need to ask God more. It's like, let me feel your heart. Let me see what you see. Let me feel what you feel about this person or this situation. Because I've been, I've been on outreaches before where I start feeling God's heart for somebody. I start feeling the love that God has for that person. And any fear of rejection kind of goes away. I just don't care anymore because I'm, and I'm like, my boldness increases because I, I was like, I'm compelled to let them know. I was like, God loves you. I feel like you can feel it. And so when we're connected with God's heart, it increases the faith. So it's like, faith isn't this thing that's um, like cold and inanimate. It's really, think about it as like God's heart. And if we can connect with that and, and even on, in our emotions, it doesn't happen all the time. You don't always connect with God's emotions, but it can happen and it's, it's nice when it does and ask for it. So the measure of our partnership with Jesus is just directly correlated with our responsiveness to his leadership. The third thing is Jesus, that Jesus would be glorified in us. So God desires to put Jesus's glory on display through dedicated lives of weak people. God wants to put his glory on display through dedicated lives of weak people so that Jesus may receive the glory due his name. It says God chose the foolish of this world to confound the wise. And so God loves to use weak and broken vessels. And anybody can. Anybody can be a weak and broken vessel. Everybody, we're on the same boat. LeBron James, uh, presidents, past and future. You know, think of like the person you think is strong in this world, in the world's eyes. They're in the same boat as us. They're broken. They're broken by sin. And, and God longs for us to come out of this, this thing that thinks that we're strong 
that thinks that we're independent and thinks that we know better than God and come to this place. You know what, God, I see I'm really broken. I'm really broken by sin. And I need you. So God promised to release a greater measure of the Spirit's activity as we, as we turn to him with all of our heart. Joel chapter 2, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your heart, for he is gracious and of great kindness. And it will come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. So we want a greater measure of Holy Spirit's activity in our life. And so part of our prayer life just needs to be, God, I want to I wanna give you all of my heart. Even when, and even when I told the Lord, I was like, Lord, I, I know that there's probably places in my heart that aren't given to you, that, haven't, that aren't submitted to you. I want, I want those places to be submitted to you. That is my heart's desire. I don't necessarily know how to get there all the time, but, I, but that's the heart. I just tell God that's what I want. And can trust that he can work in me, that his grace can work in me to move me to that desire of my heart. Even though I may be resisting, it's like you can, re- that's, that's sometimes the conflict in our hearts is we, we feel ourselves resist, but our desire is to give ourselves to him wholly. This is the same dilemma that the bride was going through in the Song of Solomon's. When you read that book from beginning to end, chapter one through chapter eight, you see she goes through a growing process in love where she's like, oh, you're my, you're my beloved. You're fairer than, than, than the sons of men. Kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. Your love is better than wine. She's saying all these things. I'm lovely. I'm dark yet lovely to you. And then Jesus calls her out to the mountains, which represents the challenges and the strongholds and calls her out to partner with him outside of the comforts of her house. And she says, flee from me. And so, and so the bridegroom turns and runs away. And then she longs for him. She's like, I'm lovesick. Where's my bridegroom? He returns, or then she hears a knock. And so then she goes through a dark night of the soul. She hears a knock. She's longing for Jesus. She opens the door. He's not there. So there's times where we feel like, God, or I believe in you. I don't feel your presence. Like there's no favor on my life. You know, you feel these things that like everything's against me. Where have you gone? And then you get to the, towards the end of Song of Solomon. He's peering through the lattice and he says, come to the mountains, come to the hills with me. And then she follows him in obedience. So her love matures through the course of that book. And, and this is where God is bringing us into maturity. Got to share my face in this thing. Is to be mature in love. Not just to be self-seeking, but to, to, but to be mature in love. Thinking of what God desires and then following him in obedience. And then the last thing that we are glorified in him. So first in this age, we experience his glory that enables us to walk in Christ's likeness. So another way to define glory, another kind of ambiguous term is think about the manifest presence of God. 
So when Solomon dedicated the temple, it said the kabod glory and the, and the Shekinah glory came and everybody and the smoke filled the temple. The priest got laid out in the spirit. That's the, so the glory is the manifest presence. And it says, if you're reproached for the name of Christ, the spirit of glory rests upon you. That's a promise that when we're being reproached, when we're being persecuted, God is going to increase the manifest, his manifest presence in our life because we're going to need it. And then second in the ace to come, we're going to live in a city, the new Jerusalem, that, that's filled with glory. And so that's small. I always, there's at least one slide I make y'all strain your eyes on. And I, so just some prayer points as we uh, get ready to close. And praying through this, this prayer is that we just want to pray that God would fulfill all of his good pleasure and would use us to release his kingdom power. That's part of what that, those two verses, 11 through 12, we're talking about, that we would partner well with God by connecting with his heart and contending for the fullness of his promises. That his glory would rest upon us, that we would experience his glory and that the manifest presence of God's glory increase in our lives. All right, we'll bless y'all. And um, like I said, if you, if you got kids upstairs, you can go get them. And then uh, if y'all help us clean up, that'll be it. We'll see you next Sunday.